Okay, so today, for Dostazapod, what I'm going to do is I'm going to break down for you my top five video games. Uh, I don't know if this list is controversial or not, but um, I suspect there'll be a handful of these picks that would be on a lot of your lists, and maybe one or two that wouldn't be anywhere near your top five. And uh, to be honest with you, I didn't think too long or too hard about this. This is sort of my automatic knee-jerk reaction to what I think my top five video games are. For me, the criteria is, what are the most meaningful experiences with video games? And um, I think that uh, you'll see why I picked these five. And hopefully, we have a little bit of a, a connected idea here. I would like, um, even if maybe you don't feel the same way, these aren't your favorite games, that maybe after listening to this, you'll feel like they're worth a play if you've never checked them out before. And if you do agree with me, I'd love to hear from you as well in the comments. If you don't agree with me, uh, I don't need to hear that. I only want affirmations and reaffirmations. Okay, Dostazapod, top five video games. Let's go. A little bit of background about me as a gamer, because I do think it's relevant. Um, I was born in 1980, so right place, right time for the invasion of the Nintendo Entertainment System and all that went along with that. It was uh, really like, you know, being alive at a cataclysmic moment. Uh, Nothing was the same after I sort of played my first NES game, which probably would have been at my neighbor. Ryan's house, and nothing could ever sort of, you know, the the paradigm had shifted, and my life was never going to go back to uh, all that I had known with things like Atari and arcade games. This was the quintessential home video game experience, and it warped my mind forever. Uh, In my early years, I spent a lot of time researching how to design video games, Uh, I would try fruitlessly to create them on my uh, very antiquated Macintosh computer. I have still a lot of printed out letters that I would send to video game companies trying to sell them my ideas or asking them for a job. Keep in mind I was, you know, five or six years old at this time. I also remember vividly uh, getting a Nintendo Power and reading about DigiPen, I believe in Seattle, which was a video game school. I couldn't fucking believe that. People were being taught video games and then going on to work for companies like Nintendo. That was uh, such a incredible picture of the future. Uh, and, you know, where I am today, I, I think I, I achieved a little bit of that. Maybe. Worked on some video game deals. Was Was on the peripheral of some of these things. I'm glad I didn't go full hog into the video game world because... I would not have the same amount of control over the things I'm doing now had I, uh, you know, gone down that path. Uh, I did actually attend college with a focus on video game design. Uh, I do have a bachelor's degree in animation. Uh, I never could quite wrap my head around the 3D aspect of things. I was much more interested in pixel art and uh, traditional 2D animation which at that time did not really uh, broaden my prospects for employment, you know, after college. 
But getting back to the timeline, so I was there, right age, right time for the Nintendo Entertainment System. Uh, had that. My older brother, who uh, lived next door, had Sega Genesis. It was a little edgier. I wasn't necessarily allowed to play those games, but I did anyway. That's where I found out about Shikan the Forever Man, which obviously, you know, continues to be one of my favorite games, although sadly did not make this top five list. You'll understand why when you hear it. Uh, and then Super Nintendo. That was sort of the divorce special. You know, my parents split up and uh, my mom moved away, but I got a Super Nintendo. And I got to tell you, that's a pretty damn good deal. Uh, would any of you make that, that, uh, that bargain? Let me know in the comments, you psychopaths. But Super Nintendo was hugely important to me as well, especially Mario Paint, which again, started scratching that itch of video game design and world building and, and learning about pixel art and how to manipulate things on the screen. Um, you know, still things I'm fascinated with today, but again, not the area of my expertise. From Super Nintendo onward, uh, I get into a little bit of the great uh, sort of desert of my gaming, the great first lapse of uh, being a sort of faithful gamer. Part of the reason was because I turned 18, moved out of the town I lived in, and promptly started working, largely in the restaurant industry. And uh, there was no spare money for games. There was no there was no buying consoles. It was you know a struggle just to sort of uh, eat food and do the laundry. So there's a there's probably a 10 year gap where I didn't own any systems. Uh, I did have a secondhand. N64, um, and then I sort of tracked down those great games like GoldenEye and Perfect Dark. Um, but I really didn't buy a new system until Xbox 360. I, I bought the the red Resident Evil 6, Resident Evil 5 Xbox, and that was my first sort of big purchase and, and my checking back into being an active gamer. And I played that console into the ground, got the red ring of death, had to get a replacement. But that was the first time I was sort of able to afford a, a new console and sort of hop back into gaming. Um, of course, along the way, I was playing roommates and friends consoles, so I was trying to kind of keep up to date on things. So needless to say, quite a few gaps in my sort of gaming history. Um, I don't have a ton of time to game now, and I still have not played a lot of staples. Um, for example, I've never played Halo. Um, so, uh, you know, I have a sort of, I guess, a relatively limited scope in which to pull from. But uh, all that being said, I do think video games are, you know, a pretty crucial medium, pretty important to me and my creative process. And, uh, these are the five that I think uh, have had the biggest impact on me. Number five. Number five is a title I wish wasn't on this list. And uh, <laughs> I, I hate that it's on this list, but it, it still deserves this spot, unfortunately. 
Um, this is a game I hate as much as I love. And the reason it's on here is twofold. One is for the sheer amount of hours I've put into it. And two is because of the very rich environment uh, that this game has laid out and how it has inspired me and affected my storytelling and my toy design and the characters that I've pursued and that we've sort of pursued together. That should probably clue you in that I'm talking about my fifth pick, my five favorite video games, Ark Survival Evolved. Now, right off the top, this is a very glitchy game. It's never really <laughs> left beta, as far as I'm concerned. Um, there are aspects of this game that are just extremely broken, and there doesn't seem to be a real wherewithal to fix this. Now, there is hope on the horizon, because Arc 2, starring Vin Diesel, is uh, coming out at some point in the near future. And maybe, just maybe, that game will have corrected a lot of the, the problems that still plague this title. For those who know nothing about this, uh, Ark, essentially, uh, when you play it, you wake up on a beach, you are a sort of uh, early man, uh, you know, Neanderthal, um, or Cro-Mega, cro cro um, it's not entirely clear, but you're sort of uh, in a potentially simulated environment under the control of beings with much more advanced technology and you have to survive you have to sort of build a fire you have to hunt and kill prey you have to stitch leather clothing and you slowly advance and learn new skills and build rafts and tame dinosaurs and build armor and uh, it is sort of in some ways a, a video game that fulfills the promise of dino riders you know we never really got to see Dino Riders, or the concept behind Dino Riders, you know, sort of futuristic technology and human beings interacting with prehistoric creatures. It, this is the first piece of media that really kind of delivers on that premise in a meaningful way. And uh, try as I might, I can only really get a couple months clean without playing the game, and I inevitably go back to it. Um... It is entirely frustrating. I, I, I know that there are sort of very easy ways to uh, cheat within the game to sort of spawn uh, all the resources you need and dinos you need and things like that. I've never taken those steps. Um, I do sort of play it in its more or less intended form, taking the time to grind away and unlock everything. And... Um, I would say, you know, I have a hard time recommending this game to people because it is so frustrating, but when it is working and you have a sort of flock of Argentavis that you're riding and commanding and you just start attacking everything on the ground and and uh, completely obliterating it, there's something really quite magical about it. And uh, it doesn't take a genius to see that a lot of Pangaea Island, although that is a location and a creation of mine that predates Ark quite a bit, my present-day fascination with telling Pangaea Island stories and the Chromega and Prototops and all those characters comes from my enjoyment of playing Ark Survival Evolved.
I tell a story often of that one glorious snowy afternoon a few years ago when me, Nikki, and Jack actually managed for a split second to get our uh, sort of game systems connected online and and interact together as cavemen in the world of Ark in the same sort of server. Uh, it didn't last very long. It, the game crashed shortly thereafter, but for a brief couple minutes, we were there together on a raft, and it was really uh, quite a special fleeting couple of seconds. So, Ark Survival Evolved, you get the number five slot. You are a bastard. I hate that you're there, but uh, it is very fitting that you're in this list. Number four. So, my number four pick. This one, it's important, but uh, I don't think in the grand scheme of things it holds up as anything genre-defining. Uh, again, it's a sort of important game because of the sheer amount of time and this sort of uh, insidious influence it had on me. And um, I guess this is really my only pick of the 8-bit era, uh, but it is an important one, and that is Mega Man 2 for the Nintendo Entertainment System. Now, why Part 2? Um, if you sort of grew up at the dawn of Nintendo and you played Mega Man 1, uh, prior to there being a Mega Man 2 or any sequels, you know the experience is much better in Mega Man 2 than in Mega Man 1. That's an extremely hard game uh, with some pretty unforgivable parts of the game in terms of jumping uh, and also hit detection, things like that. Mega Man 2 improved in every way possible on the formula and um, was kind of one of the first games I was good at. Uh, I should say also I was good at it because of the second player... Uh, sort of unlimited jump cheat that definitely <laughs> boosted my ability to uh, play a game and be successful at it. But, um, you know, really just so much was crammed into that game, including, I believe it was the first one with a password system, which was great because uh, trying to sort of replay Mega Man 1 levels or getting kicked all the way back to the, the very beginning was a real nightmare. Uh, I think also... The aesthetics of Mega Man himself, certainly in the box art and manual art and things like that, and also the, the boss art, were really perfected in Part 2, wherein they are kind of rough in Mega Man 1. And I think that the, the final sort of tweaking and design choices of the Mega Man universe and the characters therein uh, was really sort of, you know, the last coat of polish was put on him with Mega Man 2, and then for all sort of classic iterations of the game thereafter, they sort of adhered to uh, the line strength and the roundness of the characters. So the visual language was sort of rough in Part 1 and not really cemented. By Part 2, they knew exactly what these characters were, how they looked, and you see that language continue on in, in the subsequent um, sort of non-X universe of Mega Man. Astute listeners of Dystazapod will know that, uh, let's see, I wouldn't say two decades later, but I'd say a decade and a half later, 
I would, uh, no, I guess a decade later, I would go on to design Mega Man toys for Jazzwares. And not only just any Mega Man toys, the sort of classic look of Mega Man, uh, which at that point was, you know, quite antiquated. Everybody wanted uh, Mega Man X and uh, all the sort of more contemporary sequels. But I got to go back and uh, design those characters. And I do still feel very proud of the Retro Roto line by Jazzwares. I think that that is a nice high watermark in my career. Um, I've told the backstory of that line and why it ended up by accident looking the way it did uh, in previous Nostazapods. You can go check it out. I think there's a dedicated Mega Man Nostazapod, if I'm not mistaken. I'm sure Eric Valverde will chime in in the comments and let everybody know where and when that is. I think also, um, when you think of Mega Man and him taking on the boss's weapons and changing his colors and having new color schemes, uh, really, the Mega Man 2 had the best sort of versions of Mega Man. And you always find any toy adaptation of him to kind of mimic the color schemes from Mega Man 2. Mega Man 1 had some, you know, quasi-interesting ones, but they really paled in comparison to the color schemes of uh, Mega Man 2. And, you know, I, I think it doesn't take all that fine of a microscope to see the lasting, enduring influence of the Blue Bomber, and specifically Mega Man 2, on my character designs, on the uh, colors that I choose to utilize for plastics, for the toys I make. Uh, it's all there. It's, it's sort of baked into the DNA of Knights of the Slice. And uh, it was not an easy pick to sort of put him there at number four, but I think it's a super important game to me and to understanding my sort of creative path in the world. And that's why Mega Man 2 comes in at number four. Okay, number three. Obviously, if you know me, you know that Metal Gear is going to be on this list. And so, in this slot, I'm actually picking a controversial version of, of Metal Gear that probably people wouldn't pick. But I'm going to say that Metal Gear Peace Walker is my pick for number three. And while it is not the best... Metal Gear in the series. It does not have the best graphics. Uh, does not have the best control. You can't even crawl on the ground in it. It is my favorite Metal Gear. And I will we'll lay out for you guys why, and I think I just might convince you. Now this spot easily could have gone to Metal Gear 5, or even Metal Gear 3 Snake Eater, which in the grand scheme of things, you know, Snake Eater was such a monstrous epic and really rewrote so much about gaming and narrative and songs in in uh, in games that it does you know it could easily occupy that spot but because of the amount of time I spent with Peace Walker it kind of edges that out and also I think Peace Walker improved on a couple things from Snake Eater that um 
you know, probably just weren't available at the time the game was designed. Um, also, Metal Gear 5, while technically a much more superior game than any Metal Gear that came before it, and really a, a phenomenal experience in terms of control and feeling like you are, in fact, a super soldier and you're just darting around the battlefield and diving and, you know, all the all these sort of action movie things you want to experience, uh, you know, in a video game. I think that game completely accomplished. But because the game is still, to this day, unfinished and because of the sort of, you know, the implosion of the Konami and uh, Kojima relationship, uh, I just can't look at that game or experience that game without, you know, yearning for the actual true vision of what it could have been, because it does fall short of that. If you look at the uh, sort of, there was a extra disc that had a bunch of features, including what I think Chapter 5 was supposed to be for Metal Gear 5, uh, you know, we were really robbed of the complete experience. So that, uh, while technically better, still falls short. And I gotta say, I think Peace Walker is a much more complex uh, game than even Metal Gear 5. Um, there's so much to it. And the fact that also all of this was achieved on the PSP, not even a sort of big console, it makes it all the more impressive. Uh, I, I don't even know where to begin. I think the, you know, the recruitment of troops is amazing and it, it's a lot of fun. And uh, I spent a lot of time with Peace Walker during a bunch of trips for work to Europe. And I remember walking around Nuremberg and uh, it's just, just, it's a city that is behind castle walls, essentially. It's really, it's, it's wild. Um, it is unlike any other place on earth. You feel like you are in a sort of medieval town or something. And I'm just walking along the streets, you know, as my PSP is pinging on other people's PSPs and recruiting their soldiers and things like that. Just a, such a fun, amazing gimmick. And then Mother Base on the whole, being able to arrange and allocate and put people on R&D teams. Uh, just tremendous, tremendous fun. And the fact that you want to go back and replay missions so you can sort of recruit more soldiers and build up this, you know, sort of outer ops army. Uh, it's all there. Then, you know, additional great sort of ingredients in the stew. You have Ash Wood's art, these cutscenes that are fairly basic, but do do a good job of, uh, you know, conveying a, a compelling story in a sort of motion comic style, which often kind of falls short of, you know, a, a, a true storytelling experience. And largely you have a relatively cogent story compared to the other Metal Gear titles, which it still is pretty out there, but uh, it is at least pretty grounded in the politics of the 70s, especially with uh, the U.S. and the intelligence agency's relationship with places in South and Central America and the, you know, really uh, tenuous, to say the least, um, circumstances of those exchanges. The, the politics in this are based pretty much in reality and uh, what would have been sort of contemporary uh, goings-on 
at the time of this game happening. While there is a sort of, you know, a very uh, earnest critique that there are not the sort of fantastic one-on-one boss battles that Metal Gear is known for, if you think of, you know, the fight against the end in Snake Eater, or, you know, truly any any of the villains, um, you know, those fights are usually a spectacle that you enjoy. Uh, that's that's missing from this title, but uh, having things like the bonus missions that you can unlock where you are taking down monster hunter beasts with up to three of your friends uh, more than makes up for it. You know, there's some really, really fantastic unlockables after you get through the main game, which takes a very long time to do. There's, there's a ton of side missions, ton of made missions, and I found myself years later still unlocking and still playing additional things. So, uh, in closing, this is probably not the Metal Gear game that other people would pick, but it is the one that uh, I am backing, because I think uh, it's just that damn good. I think you could also probably draw some very easy parallels between what's inspired me in Metal Gear and my sort of love letters to that within Knights of the Slice. I don't think I need to spell that out on a whiteboard for you. So that's my pick for number four, Metal Gear Peace Walker. Number two. Okay, number two. We're getting very close to the end here, folks. Number two. Um, I don't think this will surprise people. Not people that know me, anyway. It's Resident Evil 4. And uh, I feel like to explain why uh, is completely unnecessary because I feel like there is a universal love for this game and most people regard it as the best. I, I know there have been remakes of the earlier titles that uh, may have sort of subsequently replaced Resident Evil 4 for some people in their mind is the best Resident Evil game. And uh, full disclaimer, I don't have a ton of experience with Resident Evil games. Um, I actually believe Resident Evil 4 was the first one I played with any sort of, uh, you know, uh, frequency or any ability to beat. Um, I distinctly remember the first time I saw a Resident Evil game. I, for some reason, was stopping by uh, this girl Danny's house. I think I was friends with her boyfriend. And we walked in and um, she was playing it with her entire family. They were like sitting there like it was a horror movie that they were watching. And everybody was sort of like gasping and, and, you know, pounding on the couch. And it it was such exuberance. And uh, it seems kind of silly if you think now, you know, if you were to look at Resident Evil 1 and, and what the sort of graphics were uh, by today's standards, but back then, I mean, it was, it really was, uh, you know, it was a paradigm shift. I think I played Resident Evil 4 when it came out on, it must have been PS2. I think I had a secondhand PS2 or one of my roommates had a PS2, and I got to play that. And um, subsequently, I've repurchased this game on almost every single 
console that it's it's been re-released on. Most recently, replaying it on Switch, which was fantastic. Switch is a, a really great um, console to play this game on. And it does seem like this new Resident Evil Village is going to take a page out of the Resident Evil 4 chapter. And I think that that's a good thing because um, it's just, it's so damn good. Think of the setting. Think of the villains. Uh, think of the bosses. I don't even have to sort of name them. They pop in your head. Think of our boy, the merchant, the original Thick Boy. What are you buying? What are you selling? Just a pure message. What more could you need? Um, I could rattle off all the sort of memorable things from it, but you know them. You had the same ones. That satisfying snap when you land a headshot with the scoped rifle. Tossing out your last flash grenade when you got a bunch of the uh, sort of mutated villagers with those things popping out of their heads. The Chainsaw Brothers. It's all there, man. It's fantastic. Lovely game. I, I did play Resident Evil 5 after that, which is sort of a diminishing return on that formula. Um, it, it's fun, but it, it lacks the depth and, uh, you know, is largely forgettable. Tried playing the next couple subsequent Resident Evils. I believe I played 6, and I believe I played 7, and um, neither of those really clicked for me. I know some of the, the newer Resident Evils are very good. I, I just haven't gotten around to those. I was even lucky enough to have the Resident Evil 4 Hot Toys figures, which were really fantastic. I think... Where did I... Oh, I got those... I had like a uh, gift card for Sideshow, and Sideshow happened to have a couple in stock, and I got them at a killer price, and those were really fantastic figures. Um, there haven't been, you know, I'm still waiting for that one Resident Evil line that is just everything. I, I, my favorite Resident Evil figure still to this day is the Toy Biz Chris Redfield. Um, it's, it's just incredible. And it's a shame that they couldn't sort of, in that five-inch scale, continue to do all the games. It would be great to have a Leon from Resident Evil 4 in that scale, even though by that time, uh, that sort of format of figure would have been well out of style. There's not been a great three and three quarter inch or four inch line of Resident Evil action figures, unfortunately. The closest we got is um, there were some Japanese blind box figures that just under three and three quarter inches. And NECA also took their sort of seven inch Leon and shrunk him down to a smaller size. Uh, but I believe that's about three inches tall. So we still have never really gotten that proper four-inch scale line. And uh, that would have been a good one for Mega Merge, for sure. So that's my number two pick, Resident Evil 4. If you disagree with me on this one, I'm sorry. I, I don't even want to know. Miss me with that. And finally... Number one. Now, here we are, number one. Before I tell you my number one, I actually want to tell you what is not in my top five and what is not number one. 
and I want to give you the reasons for that. I do not have any Soulsborne games in my top five. That includes Dark Souls, Bloodborne, you know, the whole, uh, the whole sort of universe there. The reason being uh, is that I think that actually that would likely be in my number six spot. And I would probably have a hard time choosing between which of those games to slot in. But um, I love the Soulsborne games. I actually, they're not included here because, one, I haven't had as much time playing those games as I have all these other ones. Uh, It's a more contemporary obsession of mine. And also, there's not a lot about those games that I dislike. And I think that things that truly impact you in a meaningful way, you have a certain level of disdain or hatred for. And I think that that's good. That's a, a healthy balance. You should love something intensely and hate something intensely at the same time. I think that those are the kind of things that really stick with you. And for the Soulsborne games, sure, they're frustrating and they're, they're challenging, but I generally love almost everything about them and all the different iterations and the settings. And, you know, I, I uh, don't have the same depth of a relationship with the Soulsborne games as I do with the five that I've sort of highlighted here. Uh, with Ark being a good example of you've really got to hate something to really love something. So I, I don't have any of the From Software games on this list, but now you understand why. And again, probably would have been in the sixth slot had this been a uh, sort of top ten list. So that with that out of the way... I can finally reveal to you my number one video game of all time. And that is Final Fantasy 3 or Final Fantasy 6 as it uh, now is known. This was a SNES game. Uh, I believe it came out when I was about 14 years old. I borrowed it from uh, somebody in school right before uh, one of the holiday breaks, and all I did that entire time was play this game. I had no parental supervision, and uh, I just ate Cool Ranch Doritos and played this game while listening to Smashing Pumpkins, Melancholy, and the Infinite Sadness on constant repeat. So this was probably about a week of me doing this and not bathing. Uh, a grim scene, but there was a reason for this. Because this is one of the greatest games ever made, if not the greatest game ever made. This is the first time I experienced such a complex storyline that was well told and easy to follow with a cast of characters that is seemingly endlessly populated, but each and every character has a very distinct flavor to them. And if you've spent any time playing the game, you know all these characters You know them by heart, you know their personality type, you know their quirks, you know their attacks. And that's no small thing to do. There must be, probably should have researched this, but there's probably about 12 or 14 playable characters. And uh, they are all simply, but, you know, even so, carved out as, as their own unique personality. The game opens with uh, this unknown girl, who you later find out is Tara, 
and her intersection with a thief called Locke and their sort of immediate adventures and the sort of different people that they come in contact with, join up with, go on adventures with. Um, it's all just really so beautifully well done. And why the adaptations of Final Fantasy in film and in anime do not just simply follow this very well done series uh, is beyond me. We all remember that sort of terrible CGI movie, what was it, The Spirits Within? Final Fantasy that really had nothing to do with Final Fantasy other than one character being named Sid. Uh, this would have been a far better source material for a, an attempt at a film. Although, honestly, it's so long and so sprawling, this really could be, um, you know, an HBO miniseries. Now, there are plenty of Final Fantasy games that came out after this, plenty with better graphics. Um, and I know, you know, a lot of people love other Final Fantasy games more. I have the benefit of having almost no experience with any post-Final Fantasy VI games. I missed all of the next-gen ones, and uh, anytime I try to play any of the more modern ones, it, it's just, I find it very boring, to be honest. So, this will always hold a, a very special place in my heart. Um, in terms of Telling a big story, having different factions and different worlds with a very specific flavor. You know, if you think of going to different levels, different climates in the game, that obviously impacted my storytelling. And needless to say, the artwork of Yoshitaka Omano um, really directed so much of my early aesthetics, and still to this day. And, uh, you know, that was all going off of just his sort of icons within the game, not the actual sprites of the characters, which were very simplified. But when you hit the sort of menu button, you would see these, you know, kind of profile pictures, the bust of the character, and it was so beautifully rendered. And there was a little bit of his art in the corresponding manual and the game guides, but I didn't know who his name was. I didn't know, you know, very much about that. Um, but, uh, you know, hugely influential artist, somebody whose style I have just tried to wholesale copy because it, it is that good. Um, particularly when it comes to fantasy and depicting fantasy characters, leaning more into the kind of, I don't know, almost European heavy metal Mobius, uh, aesthetics as opposed to kind of American Boris Vallejo Frazetta, um, you know, medieval, uh, vibes. I always, I have always sort of tried to make that distinct turn at the fork in the road. Uh, and I think that Yoshitaka Mano, you know, has been, he's built an entire career on making that choice to go for the more esoteric and weird and biomechanical as opposed to the more you know, I don't know, fantasy knives catalog aesthetic of American fantasy concept artists. I think also it, it proves to me that um, I think the pinnacle of games really was the 16-bit the era. I think it was Genesis and SNES, and I don't know that you can 
really do anything better than that level of technology. Now, that's not to say you can't get more realistic graphics, you can't have more immersive gameplay, you can't have bigger worlds to explore. All that is true. I wouldn't argue against it. But in terms of a cohesive experience, that's everything it needs to be and nothing more, and its ability to impact you on a deep level, um, I think that we reached that peak long ago. And what we've done for the 20 or 30 years beyond that is just kind of try to chase that with technological innovation, more pixels, you know, better lighting rendering, all this, all these technological breakthroughs that these companies chase, you know, a hundred person deathmatch game. All of that is impressive, but I think it misses that core piece of what makes anything endearing, and that's good story, captivating characters, colorful locales, all the stuff that's there in, uh, in Final Fantasy VI. So for my money, it doesn't get much better than that. And um, this is a game that will forever haunt me in the best way possible. And um, again, numerous sort of uh, veins running through the Knights of the Slice pustule uh, from this Final Fantasy game. You can see it everywhere. I, again, I, I wouldn't even need to lay it out for you. It's pretty apparent there. But uh, a wonderful game, my favorite game of all time, and uh, maybe there's just one or two of you that agree with me. Who knows? It's entirely possible. I'd like to hear from you in the comments. But uh, that's what I'm prepared to go on record as saying is my top five video games. And, uh, you know, if you haven't played any of these, I definitely think it's worthwhile. With all the wonderful game streaming services we have, they're not too hard to come by. I don't think any of them are particularly uh, not accessible. Although, fair warning, Final Fantasy VI has been tweaked and remade a little bit. Some of the modern ports uh, have taken liberties that I don't like. There's a, some really bad quasi-3D remakes you might want to avoid. Um, if you can get some of the classic versions of it, I think that's going to do you better. With the Game Boy Advance one probably um, being your best bet. So uh, there you have it, folks. My top five video games. Thank you for listening. The only thing left to say is pizza out.